<clears throat> I want to talk about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, uh, even, I mean, the love of God. Usually when somebody hears about the greatness of God, they, talk, they think about major, major episodes. Somebody in the hospital on the ventilator for months coming off. Uh, Josh's mom having COVID on the ventilator coming off. There's, there's little things that, uh, that's in our everyday life that I think people take for granted just because that's how it is. That's how it's always been. And, you know, nothing happens by chance. Everything is, I mean, God's a God of order, so everything is in place for a certain reason. Um, I've got a few verses I want to read just showing the goodness of God and the love of God. I've got actually, I'm not as good as Tom and Josh here, like how they put a couple thoughts on a sticky note. I've got six pages of notes. My fear, I've got two major fears up here. I'm going to say something dumb, and I'm going to get through six pages of notes, and it'll be 10.05. That's my two biggest, biggest things. <clears throat> I'm going to try not to have a heart attack. Uh, uh, Psalms 145.9, it says, uh, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Uh, I should have marked these, but I didn't, so I'm just going to flip to each one of them. Psalms 27:13 says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then 1 John 4:16 talks about the love of God. It says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Um, I've got actually, there's a song that, I mean, I've heard Don talk about this song before, but the song, The Love of God. And, I mean, everybody knows the song. I'm going to kind of talk about it for a second. And then I found something interesting on the internet about this song. I'm sure maybe some people, some of you know it, but... Uh, you know the song the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can tell well the chorus said could we with ink the ocean fill so if the whole ocean was ink like if if I mean it was ink not salt water and there were in the skies of parchment made so the whole sky was paper and every stalk on earth a quill so if everything that's ever sprouted up out of the earth was a quill or a pen grass weeds bushes shrubs anything that's ever trees anything that's ever came out of the earth was a pen and every man a scribe by trade which is a writer or an author that was your expertise everybody on the earth was an expert author i mean and then it says, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole that stretched from sky to sky. The interesting part is, is I mean, I found this on the internet, so I'm assuming it's true. <clears throat> but it said, uh, this song had been found penciled on the wall of a patient's room in an insane asylum after he had been carried to his grave. The general opinion was that the inmate had written the epic in moments of sanity. So can you imagine somebody in an insane asylum writing the song, The Love of God? I mean, if, if I think we all need to get a little bit insane for Jesus, if you want me to be honest with you. I mean, that song is amazing, and for somebody that, quote, is not in his right mind to write that song is amazing. Yeah, that's just, that's amazing. <clears throat> so, now, first of all, I'm not going to teach nobody in this room anything. It's not going to happen. 
you all should be teaching me. But we're going to, I just want to have a discussion on the goodness, the greatness of God, the love of God. I'm going to talk about, you know, start off small, talk about things in my family that God's blessed me with. He's put in place, like I said, that people take for granted because it's just how it is. It's how it's always been. But nothing is by chance. And then I want to talk about Job. And then at the end, we're going to talk about the ultimate show of love. God coming to earth, being crucified, uh, rising from, or rose from the grave, you know, sending to the Father and then promising to come back and get us. So... I'm going to try not to be, I'm going to try to talk slow. I don't want to be done in 10 minutes. <clears throat> so, uh, like, like my family, I could have been born to any, anywhere on the earth, to any parents, I mean anywhere, parents that were drunks, parents that were drug addicts, parents that didn't want me, parents that abused me, parents that could have possibly had an abortion before I was even born and had a chance to live, uh, parents that were divorced maybe and I didn't see my dad and mom had to work 16 hours a day to make it. I mean there's all kinds of situations that that kids go through that honestly I, I don't even know what that is. My parents been married for 43 years and they they love God. I've always had a godly family. Um, <clears throat> my mom I'm more like my mom. My mom's real quiet backwards. She wants to be in the back seat. Nobody sees her. Nobody knows she's there. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little story. When we, in 1993, Dad got transferred to Louisville, Kentucky, and we lived across the river in Indiana. And we had always been to a Christian school, always went to a Christian school. And it was like three weeks before school was starting this year. And Mom hadn't enrolled us in a school because she couldn't find a Christian school or they couldn't find a Christian school. Well, we was going somewhere one day, and Mom, you know, stopped in the middle of the road, whipped the car around, and went down in front of this little storefront building, and it said, Future Home of Fellowship Baptist Church, home of Cordon Christian Academy. And the little town in Indiana was called Cordon. So we go home, Mom calls them, and they say, yeah, we're starting school this year. And, like, I was going into the fourth grade. My sister was going into the second grade. This is, I'm not lying. This, it, I can't, it's, I can't make this up. Uh, they said, yeah, we're starting a Christian school this year, but unfortunately we're only going up to the fourth grade. Well, that's exactly what we needed. I was in fourth grade. My sister was in second grade. And then each year we're going to add another grade. So we moved back here in 97, and a few years after we moved back here, the school shut its doors, and a few years after that, the church shut its doors. So me and Mom and Dad, we'll literally, we literally believe that God put that church and that school there for us while we needed it. And I mean, as selfish as that sounds, we really honestly believe that. So Mom, Mom is just a, uh, she's quiet, I mean, backward, but she's always working in the background, always doing stuff that nobody else knows she does or sees, but it has to be done. Dad, on the opposite, is loud and upfront and wants to be in front of everybody. Dad has an amazing, amazing gift from God. Dad can play about any instrument you want him to play and has no idea how to read music. He can't do it. He, he, don't, he just don't know how to. So <clears throat> my whole life, Dad has been involved in some kind of music. I mean, arranging music for people, playing music for the choir, playing music for groups. I mean, and he just, I don't know how he does it. I can't do it, but he does. A lot of you, like Dad was with uh, One Accord for years. I mean, 
we've traveled all over playing, or playing gospel music with one accord. Now he, he plays with inheritance some. He was playing bass for J.T. Coons when he was 15. Uh, I don't know if it was his birthday or what, but Pawball came to him and said, I'll get you a motorcycle or a bass guitar. He said, I want the bass guitar. He taught himself how to play and was playing bass guitar with J.T. Coons when he was 15. He's played music all his life. And, uh, I mean, I have, I've been very, very blessed with my mom and dad. And it, it's not by chance. It's God gave him, for some reason, I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve it. But God decided to bless me with my mom and dad. Y'all are going to see how big of a sis I am up here, too. I try to be tough. I want everybody to think I'm tough. When I start talking about my family and the Lord, I can't, I can't do it. If y'all have anything to say or add, I mean, just jump in and say it. I'm not nobody special. Just, just jump in and say it if you got something to say. But uh, I am going to talk about my grandparents. My, my, and I, I don't want to bore nobody, but I, I want to show you the little things of the goodness of God. And only the only person I can use is me. So uh, my mom's mom and dad, my mom, Paul Brown. Paul Brown got drafted into the Navy when he was 17 or 18. He didn't have a choice. He had to go. Went to World War II. And uh, for whatever reason, the military had him in Missouri when he came back home. Well, it just so happened that my mama Brown was born and raised in Missouri. And when she turned 18, she went to Kansas City to get a job. They met each other in Missouri, fell in love, got married, and then moved back to West Virginia. And then... Uh, they had seven kids. One of them, one of them passed away when he was nine months old, but you know, six are still here today. Mama and Papa was done, went on to be with the Lord. Papa passed away in 01, and Mama passed away in 18. But I mean, they was both godly, godly people. Godly people. Mama was probably the closest thing to a saint that I I've ever known in my life. Just working behind the scenes for Papa. She's read her Bible through hundreds and hundreds of times. I mean, godly one. And then Papa, he, uh, he, he pastored a couple of churches in his younger days. Uh, Big Bottom Baptist Church on Camel's Creek was one of them that he pastored. But as he got older, he just, you know, people would call him and he would go preach and just do it. He did it that way. Uh, Mama and Papa Horn, they was both. Papa was a truck driver. Mama worked in insurance. But my dad and my uncle was born and raised at Point Lake Gospel Tabernacle. Papa led the services. Mama taught classes. Uh, Mama and Papa had a gospel group. They sang and traveled and sang the gospel. Pop, dad played music for them. And uh, I mean, I don't know what it is not to be surrounded by godly people. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is to have, like I said, a dad that's a drunk, or I, I don't know what that is, and that is not by chance. I don't take it for granted. I don't, I don't ever want to take it for granted. <clears throat> and, I mean, it even goes farther. My wife, I met my wife at a gospel sing, born and raised in church all of her life, godly parents, I mean... It, it just, it don't, it, honestly, if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't be standing up here today because she, she pushes me to be better. I mean, it's easy for me to say, no, I can't do that. And I mean, I'm scared to death right now. I, I, 
I'm not good at talking in front of a bunch of people. I just, I'm not good at it. But she pushes me to make me better, get me out of my comfort zone. I can't even see my comfort zone right now. I don't know where it's at. So, I mean, the Lord has greatly blessed me in my life, and I am an undeserving, unworthy sinner. I don't deserve it, but he, he has because he loves me, because God's good. And then, uh, I, yes, I am. You can't. You can't. I told Heather I was going to tease her in front of everybody and tell you that I had two sore spots on my back from her pushing me up here. <clears throat> and uh, I'm partial to them, but uh, I've got two kids that if I could draw the blueprint up of a kid, I don't think I could get any better kids than what God's blessed me with. And I know everybody thinks that way about their kids, but I have two, they're 15 and 12 years old and they're downstairs teaching the class right now. I mean... I just, I don't know why God has blessed me like he has, because like I said, I am undeserving, unworthy, but he has. So, I mean, like I said, I have grew up, lived my whole life surrounded by godly people. And like, like I said, people talk about the family and they think, well, that's just how it is. That's how it's always been. Well, it is, but God has got an order of order and he's put you in that family for a reason. So it's not by chance or just by whatever. It's a godly, godly thing. So, I mean, we're going to still start off a little bit slow. The, the goodness of God is this right here. This is a textbook, a map for the Christian to get through anything in life. I mean, sicknesses, anything you can think of, any situation that could ever come up. There's an answer for it in this. You have to be willing to dig for it and get to it. But I mean, I think the Lord will guide you where you need to be depending on what situation you're in. A lot of people uh, don't want this book. Don't, I mean, it scares them because it points out what they're doing wrong and they don't like it. I, I mentioned Paul was a preacher. I've got a, uh, this is going to make break my heart too, but I've got a three-ring binder at home that's got a bunch of Pawpaw sermons in it. And I was going through it the other day, getting ready for this. And on the back side of a, one of the sermons, he's got the Bible, a book that man wouldn't write if he could and couldn't write if he would. So, I mean, it's a book they need, but they don't want nothing to do with it. <clears throat> I've got a couple more verses I'm going to read here. Like I said, I've got a bunch of verses. I'll tell you, all, I mean, I'll just tell you what they are. You don't have to flip to each one of them with me. I'm going to go to 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, uh, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then uh, Hebrews 4.12 It is, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, I mean, this, we, we couldn't have this. I mean, if God hadn't chose to, to put his hand on some godly, godly people and, and, and work through them to get this on paper, we, 
I mean, maybe couldn't have this. But God chose out of his goodness to give us this, to get us through life. This is, I mean, little things that I just think people take, well, we've always had a Bible. It ain't no big deal. This is a huge deal. Huge deal. <clears throat> so, I want to I talk about Job a little bit. Job, everybody knows Job lived a, a rough life. Job was a very, very wealthy man. But he also, God several times called him a perfect and upright man. So, in my mind, I mean, you don't love somebody and call them perfect and upright. It doesn't actually say God loved Job. I mean, I'm sure it might somewhere, but I haven't. I didn't see it, so I'm not going to say it does. But they, God called him a perfect and upright man. Now, Job had seven sons and three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and the Bible says he had a very great household. Job 1.8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? So Satan's running around the earth trying to find somebody, and God said, Hey, did you think about Job? I mean, you can take everything away from Job, and he's not going to... He's not going to forget who I am or whatever. So Job 1.12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Open, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So, you know, Job is having a normal day, I'm sure like any other day, and people start coming to him, and, and a servant came and said, Hey, the oxen were plowing, the asses were eating. Shaheens, I'm not sure how you say that. Shaheens killed the servants. and that's, The Bible says they fell upon the oxen and took them away. Fell upon the oxen and the asses and took them away. Um, before that servant got done talking, another servant came and said, Fire fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I only am alone, escaped alone to tell thee. The Chaldeans made three bands and carried the camels away, slayed the servants. All this happened just right, I mean, before I get done talking, somebody else is coming up to tell you, tell you something else happened. And then uh, his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. A great wind from the wilderness smote the four corners of the house. It fell upon them. They are dead. So within just, just minutes of each other, Job had everything. In that time, I think he had about everything you could have to nothing. I mean, just real, real quick. But the Bible says that in this situation, I couldn't do this. I promise y'all I would want to, but I don't think I could. The Bible said Job worshipped. So, I mean, you think about losing every material possession you have, losing your kids, and the first thing you want to do is, well, I think I would, I don't know what I would be doing, honestly. I don't think it would be worshiping, unfortunately. Uh, Job 20 through, or 1, 20 through 22. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord giveth, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I mean... What can you say about that? How can you lose literally everything you have? And the first, I mean, 
I'm not saying that I would go against God, but I don't think my first thought would be, let's bow down and pray. I would be, I don't even know what I would be, honestly. I, I mean, I just thought it was amazing that the first thing he did was worship God, even though God, he's in a, uh, a test that I hope I never have to go through in my life. So, and I mean, and then Satan goes back and talks to God, and Satan thinks that, that Job was going to curse God and die or whatever, and, and he just says, you know, they go, he goes back again and smokes Job with sore boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. Job 2, 9 through 10. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. So a lot of people, a lot of people talk bad about Job's, Job's wife here, but I mean, you think about, if something happened to our kids, and I mean, we're not going to be talking in our right mind. Like, we're, I mean, I'm sure she, Job was a perfect and upright man. It's hard for me to believe that God led him to a wife that wasn't. You know what I mean? She had to be a godly woman or Job wouldn't be with her. So just think about what she's been through here. But she tells him at the, in this moment, curse God and, and die. He, here's what Job says to her. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, did Job not, did not Job sin with his lips? So everything that he was going through, he never one time, never one time sinned against God, forgot who God was. I mean, I just, I thought that was... That, that was amazing. And like I said, his wife was, it's hard to tell what state of mind she was in. I mean, she lost her children, lost everything. <clears throat> Job 2 and 13. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days. Job, Job ha is in a state of grieving. Even though he is not forgetting who God is, he is in a state of grieving. He's got three of his buddies come to see him. This is Mitch Horn version. I mean, I'm not changing the Bible, but I'm just telling you. Uh, so, verses 2, 13. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So he had three buddies that came and sat with him for seven days and seven nights. He didn't even say nothing. Just sat with him, trying to comfort him and, you know, just help him as much as they could. And Job... Job got, Job got down, and he was miserable. He was uh, grieving. I mean, Job talked about the day being dark, the night being solitary, no joyful voice come therein. He had even wished he had died at birth. Uh, Job 3.11, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? So, I mean, Job is having a hard time, even though he knows he has the Lord to lean on. I mean, it's, it's, I can't imagine what Job is going through. Yeah, yeah, it would be hard. I mean, doubt would definitely be there. That would be the first thing. I would be doubting. You know, why is, why is God not helping me? Where's he at? So, like I said, Job, uh, I mean, I, he, he's, he gets really down here. Job uh, 7, 5 through 7. My flesh is clothed, clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. 
My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eye shall see no more good. So Job was to the point to where he didn't think it was ever going to get no better. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think it was just that's where he thought he was going to be till he died. He was ready to die. And uh, he, was, he was really, really down. Uh, and I, I mean, I honestly think Job is doubting God a little bit. I mean, I could be wrong. Uh, but he he gets really really down, and then uh, Job nineteen ten nineteen through twenty. I should have been as though I had not been. I should have been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease then and let me alone that I may take comfort a little. So again, he's wishing he it's so bad that he's no. And think about like what the man had. So I mean he knows. The, the good things of life. And he just, it's so bad that he wished that he would have never been born and never had it, never had any of it. Uh, yeah. I think that, that he was in such grief and misery that he would, he would just soon not be there. Like, he just didn't want to be there. You know, he wished that if, well, if I wasn't born, I wouldn't be going through this right now. But, I mean, think about, like, what, what all the man had. And people... The Bible talks about, I, I mean, I'm not sure where it's at in Job, but the Bible talks about when his three buddies start talking to him here, like people would come to him for comfort. Like he would get people through hard times and help people. Well, now he's in it, and it's like he don't know what to do. You know what I mean? It's easy to tell somebody else, hey, when this happens, just do this. But then when it actually happens to you, it's, it's different when it happens to you. Uh, Job 14.1 Man that is born of a woman is few days and full of trouble. So, I mean, he, he's just, he's, he's down he, right now. He's doubting what God can, you know, I guess uh, how God's going to get him out, or he's just, he's wanting to die. But the Bible does say Job never curses God, but instead curses his, himself and the day of his birth. Well, this is where Job gets into a real deep self-pity, like, which I mean, understandably, I would be too. Just self-pity, nobody's got it as bad as I do, it's never going to get better. Uh, I mean, the lesson here is that there is, if there is hope for someone as stricken as Job, there is hope for you and me. Because there's a good chance a lot of us is never going to be in this situation. Hopefully, nobody is ever in this situation that bad. I mean, to, to literally have... I'm sure at the time he probably had a million dollar home and had all these animals. And I mean, everybody came to him for answers. And I mean, he was giving people, this is what you do when you're in this situation. This is how you get out of it. Literally to have that today and tomorrow not have nothing and be sitting on a pile of ashes. And you know what I mean? It's just, <clears throat> so I'm kind of, I'm kind of summing up the rest of the book. The rest of the book is when his three friends come and they kind of, what I could take out of it, they're kind of arguing back and forth for the rest of the book on how they should handle the situation or whatever. And I mean, honestly, they was arguing or talking loud enough that it, they had drew a crowd. And there was a man in the crowd named, I'm going to butcher this name, L-E-U-E-L-I-H-U. He came out of the crowd and at the time, Job and his three friends were a whole lot older than he was. So he didn't want to just come out and say, this is what you need to do. Y'all are being whatever. Do this, and it'll all be okay. 
he did come out and talk to him, but it says, I've got a Liberty Commentary Bible at home, and it's literally the King James Bible, but on the right side, uh, professors and stuff at Liberty has wrote, it's like commentary on each verse all through the Bible. Uh, I think... I think the reason I said he was younger than the other three, I think it said that in that Liberty Commentary section. I don't know. That could be incorrect, so don't hold me to that. I don't want to say anything up here that is wrong. I don't want to take away or add anything from this book. I want to say exactly what God would have me to say. <clears throat> okay. So then, I mean, after they're kind of going back and forth, at the end of the book... The Bible says Job repents of God, his three friends, that God commands his three friends to bring a sacrifice to God. Uh, and, uh, you know, Job, Job gets more than he had to start with. Uh, Job 42, 5 through 6. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job is repenting to God. Job 42.10 And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So here, Job has got 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 she-asses, seven sons and three daughters. So he literally got five times more than he had to start with. I mean, the whole summary of this is there's going to be rough times, there's going to be storms in our life, and it's easy to doubt God. I'm the first one that, for some reason, that's the first thing you want to do is, why is God not helping me? <clears throat> and I mean, it makes you wonder if he's really there for you. Job was tested by God. He was perfect. He doubted God, was there for him, and even wished that he had died at birth. But in the end... God proves himself once again that God is good and God is love. Now, I've actually got a whole other section on the birth and the life and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, but it's 1025, so I hope, I hope it wasn't too boring.